Hello, I'm Leo Sayer, and you are watching The Jeremy White Show. Rock on, Jeremy! Hey, what's up? It's Jeremy White. Welcome back to my channel. Make sure you like and subscribe to get more cool stuff like this. The Jeremy White Podcast is available on demand wherever you stream with more than 50 episodes, including interviews with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley from KISS, Joe Elliott and Phil Collins from Def Leppard, New Kids on the Block, Rick Astley, Bonnie Tyler, Alessia Cara, Jaden, and a whole lot more. Make sure you subscribe and like today and get the Jeremy White Podcast wherever you stream. Celebrating the 45th anniversary of Endless Flight, released in 1976. We're going to be getting the lowdown on pretty much all the deep and dirty secrets of recording this record. Came on November 5th, 1976, produced by Richard Perry, and pretty much he had every musician possible play on this record, too, which we're going to get, we're going to talk all about. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Mr. Leo Say. There he is, everybody. Nice go. to meet you. How are you doing, guys? Good. Oh, we're great. Good. And, and I have to say, uh, growing up for me in the 70s and 80s, your music was everywhere, and I was a big follower of Billboard magazine, and you were in that every week. I mean, every month <laughs> there was a Leo Sayers well, story. Well, it, so. it, it was a it was a good run all the way from 1973 in the UK and in Europe, and then 1974 um, in 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 uh, in America and Canada, um, mm -hmm. all over the states. Um, it, it it kind of started, I guess, with the show must go on, the first album, Silver Bird, which yep. got a lot of attention because I dressed as a Piero. Um, the, 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 I saw that the, 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 the mime or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a picture there in the background. I think we could just about see. Uh, there he is. Oh yeah, somewhere yep. there. Oh yeah. And um, actually, I actually so, pulled out that picture yesterday. I was gonna throw it up for for us, but I figured <laughs> oh, let's let's just talk about well, it. Well, the idea <laughs> behind it, um, the ideal behind it was that um, when I was growing up, there was this wonderful uh, movie that I love called Les Enfants du Paradis. The the Children of Paradise, and mm. a French film. And there was this wonderful mime in it who played the part exactly like that, a classic Piero from the French theater. So, so the, the, the whole Piero image came because I had this, this character that I, um, I really loved as a, as a college kid growing up, you know, in art school. And uh, he was he was a, a, a an actor in a in a French movie called Les Enfants de Paradis, which mm -hmm. was filmed around about the end of the Second World War. Yep. And um, this character uh, I just loved. I mean, he personified everything for me. And what he could say in mime, in gestures, no words, was to me absolutely incredible. So so he became a hero. And when I went to um, do the first album cover. To do the shoot for the first album cover, the photographer who was the cousin of Roger Daltrey of the Who, who I'd you know uh, written some songs for, which kind right. of launched me in the first place. Um, he turned around and he said, "Look, I've done these photographs. Um, have a look at this." And I looked at the wall. And he said, at the same time, he was saying, "So how do you see yourself?" And I said, "Like that." And I I pointed to the Piero, and he said, "Well, that's a French guy called uh, Jerome. He's still in. He's still here. You know." So why don't tomorrow you put on his costume and I'll take a picture. And right. that was it, you know? Wow. So, so that was the, that was the first thing that happened. And of course we came to America, played all these clubs, you know, from Memphis to Philadelphia to the bottom line in New York and uh, in Los Angeles, the Troubadour. And um, you know, we set the, set it all on fire, I think. So three dog night covered that song and had a hit. And that's, I think where it all started, you know? Yeah. And of so course, you dressed up, uh, so you dressed up as the mime not because you wanted to be in the band Kiss so bad. It was, it was no, but, but, no but Genesis and Peter Gabriel, <laughs> you know, Genesis and Peter Gabriel were doing that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that's so, right. I mean, right. Kiss hadn't even started yet. In fact, really? at that time, um, they came about a year or so later. Um, yeah, but so, but you know, so we it was had the Mark... David Bowie, the Peter Gabriel, and yeah, that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. and and Mark Boland, you know, the the glam, yeah. the glam guys yeah. as well, you know. Um, like so the proper, so and Jabriath, who can who can forget Jabriath? <laughs> I remember Jabriath. In fact, uh, yeah. Def Leppard covered a Jabriath song. Believe it or dead not, dead right, dead right, very good, very good. Yes. So anyway, mm. so a series of albums went on. Yep. Um, and popularity growing in America. And so it was pretty logical for Adam Faith, my manager, and and uh, his co-producer, because he was producing me at the time, David mm -hmm. Courtney, to um, 
to, uh, well, I mean, they thought that they'd gone far enough. We did a, a third album, I think. That first it was Silverbird, then it was Just a Boy, and then there was 1974, and then there was, um, and then there was another year in 1975. And um, in fact, David Courtney wasn't even on that album. Yep. So Adam turned around and said, look, it's all happening for us in America. We've got to find an American producer. I don't think I can really cut this any longer. So a discussion went on and I chose Jerry Wexler or Tom Dowd, who I was really keen on for being the producer. But Adam somehow found Richard Perry. Yeah. And I got to say, I wasn't keen on Richard as a choice over Jerry Wexler because I'm a soul man, really, you know. So I thought that dun, dun, someone dun, like dun, Jerry... Dun, dun. Yeah, well, so you know, Jerry could, Jerry could really understand what I was doing. So, so, um, I, and I took some original songs to Richard as well, you know, uh, mm. but he hated them all. So that was <laughs> wow. kind of, it, well, it set up a, it set up a kind of conflict in a way, you know, uh, instantly. And we kind of found a middle ground in Motown music. You know, we, mm. we both love Motown and soul and Richard said, look, I can get the Motown sound for you if that's what you want, you know, but I really see you, I, I, I see you as a voice. I mean, you know, he, he really loved the voice. And mm. I was thinking, God, I've never taken my voice that seriously, really. I mean, it was always, you know, right. I would sing my own, my own songs and the songwriting was what was important to me. Right. So, so I, he, he kind of, he kind of put me almost instantly on a, at a crossroads where oh my God, should I just dump this and go back to England or should I carry on, you know? And, and it got to arguments and everything. I mean, I was about to leave and literally go back to England thinking, well, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. This, I just want to do my own songs. Um, and, and at the last minute, he just turned around and he said, look, Leo, don't take the plane. Um, come to the studio this afternoon. I've got all the musicians here. He must have moved hell and high water because I think yeah. it was the panic of me leaving. He must have phoned mm. everybody and said, you get here now or you never work with <laughs> yeah, me I mean, listen, <laughs> Jeff Percaro, <laughs> Ray Parker Jr., Earl yeah. Slick, Leland yeah. Sklar. I mean, we. by well, the way, we spoke those... to Leland last week and he said some nice things about you. Oh, no, he's a beautiful cat. Yeah, yeah. he's a good friend. Yeah. Um, but listen, it wasn't necessarily all of those musicians immediately there at that time. I remember... Right. Um, uh, Ralph McDonald, the conga player. I remember uh, Ray Parker Jr. was there. Mm -hmm. I believe I believe Jeff was there. Um, but anyway, I walked in straight from dumping my suitcase after going to leave. You know, <laughs> this is an album that nearly never got never got started. So I'm mm. I'm dumping my suitcase at the Chateau Marmont Hotel and I'm going over to the studio thinking, oh, let's give it a shot. If not, I'll fly tomorrow. And I walked <laughs> into the room. Uh, you open this door at Studio 55, now a, now a car park. Um, Studio 54. No, yeah, Studio no, Studio 55. It was yeah. 5505 there was a Melrose oh. Avenue. Oh, oh, yeah. no, oh LA, what, LA. What's the, what's the studio that's there? Um, oh, God. Um, well, there's Sunset Sound. There's... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, film Studio. Film Henson Studio. Studios. Oh, MGM? Oh. Paramount? Uh, Paramount. Paramount. Mm -hmm. So it's right now... Down. Where that, that studio was built so that Bing Crosby, when he was at Paramount, could go there and, you know, do all his songs and, wow. and sing them there and, you know, in the big room. And, and the studio had the original big lead-lined room, you know, this incredible acoustic space. So wow. if you can imagine, I walk out of the car and, you know, Richard opens the door and says, come on in. And one song we've been discussing was what becomes of the broken hearted. So as I'm literally walking through the door, the band is playing dum, dum, dum. As a, and I go straight to the mic and I go, as I walk this land with broken dreams. You know, it's, it was all set up. It was, wow, that great. was it. It just From happened. that moment, it, the album was born. And I, I just turned around. I mean, I'd never worked with musicians of that class before. Yeah. Got to say, I work with some good ones, but boy, this was like right. whoa, upper level, you know. Well, you said something so, really interesting that I I wanted to get your thoughts on because mm. you you sort of said you know we were looking for an American producer. What was the difference between say a British producer and American producer at the time? Oh God, well you know uh, look at Rod Stewart, okay, yeah. when he made Atlantic Crossing. Uh, uh, basically, they recorded it a year before I came in. 
So Rod was always making English albums, you know. I mean, think of Maggie May and those songs with the Faces guys and all of that very British rock thing. The same mm -hmm. thing that Elton really had, you know. Um, so, so, so all of a sudden he makes this shift and all of a sudden he's down in Muscle Shoals and he's at Atlantic Studios and he's working with, you know, the slick. Let's say at that time in America, musicians were slick. Mm -hmm. Whereas musicians in England were pretty straight, you know, mm -hmm. um, they, they they played it very much by the bar. But American musicians swung, you know, right. you only have to listen to Steely Dan or something to yeah. realize this. They played with feel. Exactly. Yeah. Boz Skaggs, you know, all those guys, the, oh. band, the, the bands, the musicians in those bands, you know, that's what they had. Plus, oh. you know, Richard had this handle on Guys like, uh, like like Ray Parker Jr., who'd been in the Motown ranks, you know, mm. I mean, Ray's on just about every Temptations song that you've ever heard, and yeah. Diana Ross and the Supremes, and worked with Stevie, was Stevie's guitarist for years touring, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so so he had a handle on, you know, who he could grab. I mean, Jeff Piccaro was a young session guy. Of course, his dad was a famous percussionist, Joe Piccaro. From, from Frank Sinatra's band. Likewise, David Page, Marty Page is the arranger, was the arranger, uh, the live array, uh, uh, conductor rather, of I didn't uh, know Frank that. Sinatra's band. Yeah, wow. yeah. So these, so these are the boys that have kind of come up from their, their father's genes, you know. And then also, uh, I mean, he was able to add some English elements that James Newton Howard, who is now a very famous music uh, soundtrack producer, and, mm. and and art and, and writer, of course, on Golden Pond, et cetera, et cetera, was he was the synthesizer player in Elton's band at the time that we used him. And he just arrived in LA and decided to stay. So he is all over the album as well, and an, an Englishman. Um, mm. You've also got uh, Paul Buckmaster, who was also from the Elton uh, school, you know, who's mm. arranging a lot of the tracks. Um, Wow, you know, we had quite a few English English people there as well, you know, in in there. So I think that we were kind of creating something as rather like what Rod had done just before us, mm -hmm. you know, of using this kind of British feel. I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, you use the British yeah. feel, guys. You know, I mean, look at Badfinger; they were the more uh, more an English band that you'd ever know, and yet most of their records were cut in America, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, and another band, Def Leppard, covered by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No and matter Super what, Tramp's a good example no of a band that worked in America, but yeah, it was very British, you know. So anyway, yeah. so here was I. Now I, I being an ex-blues man because I was originally started off as a blues harmonica player, yep. and you know just singing in blues bands. I mean, I was just walking into the territory that I knew. I, I could groove with people like Ray Parker, and yeah. um, and and Larry Carlton and those guys. I mean. You know, Larry Carton took me up the street to play with B.B. King, you know, so we were talking the same language, you know, and and Jeff and I became, well, so close, great buddies. We lived just down the street from each other and we used to chase each other in cars to the studio every day, you know, so we all became really close. And Richard put together this incredible band that like locked me in. I mean, you know, whether I was going to write songs on the album, in that early stage, I didn't know, but I mm -hmm. knew I wanted to be aboard because I was going to learn some shit. You know, I was going to yeah. learn some stuff. Right. It was, it, it, you know, this is like going to school. You know, it was great. Totally. Yeah. But, Especially but, working with that producer and working with those musicians. I mean, it's kind of like the school of rock in reality, in a way. You it know? is. Yeah. And, 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 and here's another element to it. I mean, Richard was a great song finder, as he mm -hmm. proved with uh, Art Garfunkel. Uh, and Ringo Starr and many other people he produced before. He could, he really had this kind of ear for songs, and he had a couple of girls as well working with him who, who, who basically would go out and collect material. I used to get boxes of cassettes, so so uh, you know that was one side of it. Another mm -hmm. side was that he persuaded me to get writing with some American guys. There was a young guitarist called Johnny Vastano that Richard was trying to develop his career. And, um, you know, he and I sat down, we got on fantastically. He taught me all about baseball. I taught, taught him all about soccer. And we just kind of got on like a house on fire. So 
as well as writing some good songs. Uh, we I hear the laughter, which is on there, and yep. and uh, got the cover here. I'm mm -hmm. just looking at it, and um, I think we fell in love too fast. Uh, written with Johnny. Um, I also kind of got, I got introduced to Barry Mann. Now, Barry Mann wow. wrote You Lost That Loving Feeling. Oh, my, my yeah. God, what a songwriter. Blame it on the bossa nova, you know, all these <laughs> incredible songs. So so to be sitting in a room with 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 with, uh, with with that man, I mean, you know, I was just pinching myself. I mean, Barry was an incredible character. Um, Cynthia Weil, his wife as well, was a great lyricist, great songwriter. So, you know, I, I stepped into writing with Barry and that was just joy. I mean, we went up to Screen Gems uh, Publishing, um, and uh, which was an, a, a kind of an adjunct of the Brill building that you know of, of course, in New York. So, so I would walk into a room and coming out the next room beside me was Carol King. You know, and coming wow. out of the next room, the other end of the corridor was Neil Diamond, you know, wow. and everybody just, you know, there was, there, there were no sort of rock star. I mean, Neil used to come, hey, Leo, come and have a coffee, man. You know, so <laughs> you were just kind of, you were just hanging out with, you were hanging out with creative people, not rock stars, if you know what I mean. Right. So it was a, it was a different kind of vibe. Yeah. So all of that was going on. There was a great, um, we took a long time over the album, you see. We mm. took a, quite a, we took about three or four months to complete it. And I think that that was, you know, part of Richard's plan was to really kind of almost ease me into an American lifestyle, mm. you know, while I was doing it, which, which right. worked because I could really confer with everybody I was working with from the technical guys to the, to the, to the musicians, to the yeah. arrangers, you know, mm. people like Gene Page, who's kind of, Oh my God, the man behind all the Barry White hits and all of those Motown and Philadelphia hits, you know, was writing our screen charts. And these were all characters. And I think Richard was great because he he wanted me to be on on same level terms with these guys, if you mm -hmm. can understand that. So it yeah. wasn't like, you know, uh, we're producing Leo. It was more like, hey, here's Leo, you know, let's what's he think of this? Yeah. So I was really involved in this record, you know. And it's interesting you said that, you know, he wanted you to be involved. And more importantly, like, it's funny, you said that it was more, it was such a creative atmosphere to be there at that mm. time. And it's like, I'm, I'm sure totally. that, that I'm sure that totally contributed to the sound and vibe of the record. Yeah, I mean, you know, Boz Skaggs had just recorded with, um, with, 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 with uh, 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 Jeff and, and, mm -hmm. and, and David Hungate and some of the guys who were making up Toto at that time. Um, and I was working with them. So I would kind of meet up with Boz, uh, you know, in a little coffee shop. And nice. Boz, was, Boz was like me. Uh, look, I have to say, and I hope people don't get offended here, but a lot of the guys were taking drugs. <laughs> you know, they were at that time. Everybody was. was. Of, it was the 70s. There was a lot of <laughs> weed and white powder along, man. It was, right. big, it was kind of a big part of the scene. So me and Boz were totally straight. So we would get together and have tea afternoons, you know. But mm. but but the lovely thing was I could play some of the cassettes to Boz and he'd go, yeah, I think it's a bit off the wall, that one. Or Ooh. he'd say to me, I think you're on the right lines there. So Boz became my secret advisor for the album, which was fantastic wow. and a great friend, you know. Wow, that's amazing. So, I mean, to be fair, had you played him, you know, the demo for You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, had, had Boz said, oh, I think that's meh, yeah, whatever, had you, <laughs> would you well, dig no, it? Actually, well, actually, that's the straight, well, out of all of the songs, I mean, that's the most unusual on the album because mm -hmm. it came out by a, via a jam session, really. I mean, this was all, you know, into uh, me and Jeff Beccaro, driving our cars from Kirkwood Avenue. Um, I had a house right across the, the road from the, uh, the Canyon store, which is literally on Laurel Canyon and Kirkwood corner. I was mm. at the house on the corner opposite the Canyon County store. Wow. And Jeff lived about seven houses up next door to Jenny Agatha. I remember that very well because I used to try and go up there and see Jenny Agatha. Anyway. Nice. Um, <laughs> and, and so, 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 uh, so he lived just up the street. So he'd kind of drive down and then meet me. Um, I didn't actually drive at the time. I had a driver. So David would drive me in the little Cadillac and, and Jeff would be behind, behind in his Corvette. And, you know, we'd mosey <laughs> on down. 
And every time we got the stoplights, it would kind of wind down the windows and check out what each of us was listening to right. until we got to the same station, usually, you know, KMET or something like that. And we just listened. And when we got in, it was like, so what did you hear? You know, and I'd say, what did you hear? And this day we came in, we'd both been listening to a brand new record by Shirley and Company, Shame, 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 wow. you know, which had this incredible high vocal from, I think it was a guy, um, but singing, it was Shirley and Company, you know, and and this outrageous record. And I loved singing falsetto because I grew up as a, a choir boy and that's what I used to do. Mm. You know, I'd do the, oh, you know, all those beautiful high solo voices. I was a soloist, you know, um, in the Roman Catholic cathedrals and things like that when I was a kid. Wow. So, so I had that voice, but I'd never had a chance to really use it. And I thought, shit, wouldn't it be interesting to use that on a record? You know, mm. oh, wow, uh, what a thing to do. So here we are, and I, I kind of, um, here I had a chance to do it, and we were just jamming. It was in between track, I think we might have been recording When I Need You for the uh, 115th uh, take or something like that. Mm. And I think they had to change tapes. Uh, oh, wow. That's what happened. And and um, so guys said, yeah, you, you guys just talk, stay there. Don't lose the vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, I turned around, to, I, I spoke to Jeff. He's in the next booth to me. I said, hey, Jeff, what about that groove of that song this morning? He said, yeah, like this. And I started, yeah, God, I can't. And I start singing like that. Ray Parker picks up, starts playing the riff. You know, um, God, John Barnes is playing this really groovy Rhodes piano. Willie Weeks is on bass, walking the bass. Suddenly, you know, over in the control room, not known by us, Richard is throwing tapes across the room. Put that on now, record this now. Wow. A jam session was being recorded you know, without us even thinking about it. In fact, at the end of it, you know, I mean, we, we kept thinking, uh, how long can we keep playing like this? And we're just, um, you know, throwing this fun down, waiting yeah. to be stopped. And eventually Richard said, oh, okay, guys, that's great, but let's get on. Uh, take 115 when I need you, you know, back to work. Wow. <laughs> and, and three weeks later to the day, after I'd been asking him, I said, mm, Richard, you know, we need a centerpiece for the album. What? And he's saying the same thing, you know, what song do you reckon? He said, well, I reckon we've got it with this. And I'm up in his room and he puts the tape machine on and I didn't even know to recorded it. And there it was. And, you know, it's a groove. Wow. It, it, it was really rough, but boy, it had something and no words, you know, just me going, yeah, that, 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 you know, that mm-hmm. tune. Sing and, the melody. And, yeah, and, and Ray with the lick, you know, mm-hmm. and the walking bass and Jeff with this fantastic groove, shuffle kind of groove. So, you know, I just had to agree, boy, let's finish this. So, um, sorry, that's my a, ear pods that, falling out that's okay. uh, in excitement. Um, that's incredible, so we, though, that, you know, it, it was just like you guys jamming in the middle of, you know, swapping tapes and yeah. became a Grammy Award winning song. <laughs> like, but, but that's how great songs are made. Now we spend so much yeah, time often, often they are, picking you know. apart. And, and oh, my God, it, it was yeah. so good yeah. back in the day. You just go in and you get a vibe. Let me. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I want to take you just real, real quick to uh, to the. Can I just finish that story, though? And tell yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Three weeks, three weeks later. Um, you know, sorry, th- uh, no, sorry, I'm saying three weeks later, it was after that jam that mm-hmm. Richard says, I go straight downstairs and there's a visitor to the studio, a guy called Vinnie Poncia. And yeah. Vinnie, uh, pro- uh, you know, later produced Kiss and a lot of, of albums. But uh, up to that time, he'd been co-songwriting, you know, to help out Richard uh, Richard Starkey, Ringo Starr's album. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, 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 when he came up with some ideas for that and, Richard said, hey, he can help you with the chorus because we've uh, got to find a chorus, got to find a chorus. That's what I was saying. Mm. And so, yeah, we just went to the piano, put on a tape machine. Poor old Vinny had a bad back at the time. He had to go and see his chiropractor 20 minutes later or so. So we had five minutes at the piano. And we both said to each other, if we can't get it in five minutes, it's not a hit. But we did. We got, <laughs> we, we, we got the transition, you know, just slight change of key, big shift up. 
found you make me feel like dancing. Whoa, that works, you know? Wow. And so the whole song, if you time it all together, took 20 minutes. Damn. 20 minutes to create. That's incredible. <laughs> and years later, you know, there's these guys in England called the Automobile Association, and they, they you know, they, they fix your car if you've broken down or something like that. Yeah. And they used to kind of, they had a, a TV ad, and they, the guy used to say he was the head of the, head of the company. He'd say, if Leo Sayer can write, you make me feel like dancing in 20 minutes, I think you can pick up a car in half an hour. Wow. <laughs> so it's kind of lots of legendary stories, but sorry, back to your question. That's actually really funny. <laughs> You're changing music and changing automobile industry. Sorry, at the same Mitch. Time. Yeah, no, no worries. And, and of course, Vinnie Pontia, uh, I Was Made For Loving You, the Kiss Unmasked album. And yeah, that man, was absolutely. The, the Unmasked album is when I first interviewed Gene Simmons at the ripe age of 11 years old. So, so that <laughs> wow. has... Yep. That has, yeah, I was at Ocoin Management, and I was in this big room with all the the gold records, and so that was a great <laughs> moment. But, but oh, what cool. I want to ask you, to, I want you to 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 react to what I'm going to read here for you in a second, because I went back to Billboard of November thirteenth, nineteen seventy six, and I pulled out their review of your album. Oh, those guys! <laughs> yeah, and, and and I'm curious to 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 hear your reaction to what they had to say. Now it's just a little paragraph, so I'm going to quickly read it. It says yeah, yeah, Warner yeah. has made it clear that Sayer is a top priority push artist for the label this fall, and the product here, which of course is Endless Flight, is a strong bet to expand Sayer's popularity to a more consistent plateau. The single, you make me feel like dancing is shooting towards the top 30 and its semi-disco feel is right on contemporary isn't that great you were contemporary back in 70 yeah man <laughs> uh, completed with swoop ups to a remarkable falsetto range the teaming of virtuoso producer richard perry with virtuoso singer writer sayer was inspired to say the least huh we, wow. we love that uh yeah. one Immediately apparent switch is that an interesting variety of songwriters has been pulled in for material rather than relying exclusively on Sayer's always interesting but sometimes quirkily offbeat <laughs> co-writing. Yeah, so yeah, so you're you're quirky uh, or quirkily as they uh, they wrote. Double-handed uh, double compliment. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll finish here, last sentence here. As can be expected from a Sayer LP, there are many different styles of song delivered mm. with vast energy and a voice that can seemingly do anything. Best cuts are You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, I Hear the Laughter, Magdalena, When I Need You, Hold On To My Love. And to dealers out there, Sayer has always been an impressive artist and here he's more commercial than ever. Um, wow. Wow, I never bad. saw that review. Yeah, that's well, pretty good, though. Well, I'll yeah. send it to you if you want. But yeah, it's oh, not bad. Beautiful. <laughs> but uh, what do we think about about that uh, in terms of? Yeah, no, it's well. Go ahead. No, no, it's it's true. And I, if I, if I can, sorry, read your mind. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Uh, mm. I I think that um, that that was the intention. Richard wanted to introduce me to a, a wider audience. So mm. therefore a wider palette of styles than maybe I'd presented up to, up to now, you know, sure. I'd been a very quirky writer, you know, a lot of the, the, the songs like long tall glasses, you know, and uh, one man band, they'd all had some kind of quirky moonlighting. They'd all had some kind of quirky angle to the show must go on, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think he wanted to kind of move it into the mainstream and he thought that I could handle that. And he was right, you know, I, I got it immediately that we were started working on, um, yeah, songs like I Hear the Laughter and How Much Love. I mean, they're very, they're very simple messages in the song. And, you, you know, here you've got a songwriter who likes to be complex lyrically, you know, so he's kind yeah. of, he's kind of, you know, praised me down to something quite simple. And I think that that was very effective. And that was the appeal of the album, you know, that it, it, it I, I think from what I heard, families would say, you know, well, you know, I like this track. I like that track. The daughter likes this track. Son likes this track, you know, and granddad loves this track. So 
it had a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, it ends mm. with Nigel Olsen probably playing the heaviest drums he's ever played in his life with the Andrew Gold song, Endless Flight, um, with Paul Buckmaster, this mountainous string track, which is completely mm. different to Reflections, say, the Diana covering the Diana Ross song or, or, um, or When I Need You, you know. So there are plenty of, uh, um, plenty of contrasts. I, I must tell you that Richard mm. was very nervous about When I Need You. Uh, I wasn't. I, I, you know, I was given a box of tapes and um, When I Need You was in there with Albert Hammond singing. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, since then, Albert and I, we've written so many songs together. But, you know, this was my first hearing of, 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 of this song. And mm-hmm. I just I, I was parted at the time from my ex-wife who was back in England. We couldn't afford to bring her out, you know. So I was mm-hmm. trying to talk to her on the transatlantic phone. Couldn't afford and, you know, to bring her out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. At that time, I mean, you, you know, listen, I was pretty much held down by my damn managers and everything like that. Mm. I was living on a pittance. I mean, that's another story for another day. But, um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, these things happen. Um, I, I read those anyway, stories. It was, it was quite yeah, a, quite yeah. an adventure. <laughs> yeah, quite a lot of us were, you know, in that, wearing that coat and tie. I'll tell you. Yep. Um, yeah. So um, uh, nobody escaped without being ripped off. Let's put it like that. But anyway, um, she would be at home and I'd be trying to talk to her. You know, you get this awful, in those days anyway, you get this awful delay. Hello? Hello? You hear your own voice. So every time you're trying to say something, it's, oh, my God. I remember that it was bouncing off the satellite. Yeah, it's like doing a radio interview with someone who's on the phone, you know. So you get that recoil, um, the whole recall. And so I could never say the words that I really wanted to say to tell her how I loved her and how I missed her. So... I just took the lyrics of When I Need You, this song that I've just found, and read it off the sheet, you know, miles and miles of empty space in between you, uh, in between us, a telephone can't take the place of your smile, but you know, I won't be traveling forever, Janice. I was cold out, but I'd hold out and do like I do. And she, she started crying. And I oh. thought, damn, this is a hit. This is a cross, you know, fertilization long distance love estranged people kind of i don't know it could be a covid song couldn't it when you think about it it's something <laughs> that re- that kind of reached across the void of people who can't physically be together right and i thought well you know that's a smash richard said nah it's cheesy i said no 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 richard we got to do it well and we, we tried <laughs> we tried it with a lot of different versions we had even had booker t and the mgs in the studio one day and we cut it you know like a, I've, I've been loving you, like a Otis Redding, you know. So when mm. I need you, mm. you know, um, and we tried every way. We went right back to the original and in the end, of course, and that's the version that comes out. Yeah. Um, the single had Bobby Keys playing sax on it, which wasn't originally on the album, mm-hmm. on the first pressings of the album, because we hadn't even thought of that idea. But Bobby was on the road with me, um, Bobby, who's no longer with us, sadly. Mm. Um, uh, but Bobby was playing sax on the road and and developed this fantastic solo for the for the song, which wow, you know, we just Richard came up and heard us play, and he just said, right, straight back to the studio, let's put that on for the single, and and that's why Bobby's on there, but Bobby's not credited uh, in the credits on the record. Well, he's credited online. I mean, he's right on there with Jeff Picard and Willie yes. Weeks on bass, and you know, so he, he yeah. got his he got his credit later on. But I mean, that song became a massive hit worldwide. I mean, it was number one in the UK singles chart, and you know, I mean, it's... yeah, yeah. It's strange that in the UK, you make me feel like dancing didn't get to number one, mm-hmm. but when I need you did. But you know, in America, it was fantastic to have back to back number ones. Was just an incredible um, uh, yep. thing for me. It was very beautiful. I was in New York when um, you made me feel like dancing. <laughs> we went to number one. It was meteoring up the charts. It was bulleting so fast. It was ridiculous. Wow. And I was in a, I think I was in a store, Bergdorf Goodman's. I was up there trying to buy a leather jacket, I think. And somebody in the store said, hey, there he is. There's, he. there's, the, there's the clown. There's the guy. He's he's at number one. And I didn't even know I was at number one. And I asked somebody else, and, and this guy said, yeah, man, I just got the charts. You're number one. The charts were a big thing in those days. Yeah. So I go out to the street, and every they all saying, there, there he is. Look, Leo Sayre, he's here, the dancing guy. So I'm put on someone's shoulders 
and carried down Fifth Avenue to uh, to to the to the hotel to the plaza, wow. you know, on somebody's shoulders. It was the most amazing moment. I kind of knew I'd arrived in America then. It was Leo Mania. Leo Mania, man. <laughs> it was. Listen, I, I, I was I was talking to Peter Frampton the other day, and I went through all the billboards from nineteen seventy. Dropper, he's a good friend. <laughs> he's a great friend. But but I was going through it, and every issue was Leo Sayer, Peter Frampton, Leo Sayer, Peter Frampton, Leo. Every yeah, issue. Yeah. And, mm. and yeah, Frampton Comes Alive was a massive album at the time. Yeah. Uh, and one so, that we all wanted to beat. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was just incredible to see. And of course, having lived through that, mm. uh, you know, you make me feel like dancing. I mean, that's, that's right up there with, with, you know, uh, anything that's ever been recorded. So it was, it was a great it, it's time. It's amazing. It's amazing how songs also, you know, uh, extend and have their own life. I mean, you know, it got included in Charlie's Angels. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it was in that movie. It was in so many different, Ella Enchanted and so many movies. Um, you know, When I Need You as well, you know, it's, it's been used so many times for, for cat commercials. My God, just about everything, you know. It's <laughs> well, like, I mean, and, and, uh, and this might sound strange to you, but 1976 was the Montreal Olympics and we're from Montreal. So yeah. to me, it's sort of it's sort of like the Montreal Olympics <laughs> song because it's, it it ties into that whole summer vibe of what was going on, you know. Well, the very next year, oh, I was awarded right. in the Juno Awards. I was Artist of the Year, and wow. I've still got my Juno Awards somewhere yeah. up there. Yeah, this huge, great, yeah. big, pointed thing. Yeah, yeah the, the the flying pyramid. Um, yeah. Yeah. and um, we love and, the flying pyramid now I mean I know the yeah, song came out in November but it, it, it to me when I think back it just ties into this yeah, one big yeah. memory you know what I mean mm -hmm. yeah. um, just qu qu quickly talk to me about Vinnie Poncia because obviously he went on mm. and did the Peter Chris solo album and he did I Was Made For Loving You with Desmond Child what was it about his songwriting where he could just turn nothing into something and I'm not saying you had nothing but where yeah where, where, yeah yeah well, he comes from he comes from his his alumni, if you like, his music college is street corner singers, you know, doo wop, all of that. Uh, he came from New York, and he he basically, you know, I remember meeting up with him in New York. I didn't really ever get to know Vinny that well, but we I was playing a gig in New York, and uh, I, I, maybe I was doing TV. I might have been doing Saturday Night Live, and. Uh, get a, ho a call at the hotel. Hey, Vinny, it's Vinny, man. Let's get together tomorrow if you've got some time. And I had some time, so I said, yeah, man. So he took me out to Brooklyn and where he and Richard grew up, you know, and or, though not at the same time. And he taught me, he took me to all these singers. Uh, you know, we stood on the corner and we listened to some groups and then we went to a little hotel where I believe the Manhattans were getting together and yet wow. some other group I don't know and he he also kind of like he gave me a list of all the great doo-wop songs you know uh and and, and the great kind of uh singing group songs you know like mm. the platters all that kind of stuff you know yeah um and 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 uh, I, I I could un understand you know where he came from so he had this musical knowledge that could just spot a melody straight away because you know the the trick with all of those great doo-wop songs, the whole history of doo-wop is the melody. It's mm -hmm. this kind of, you know, the bass part going da 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 da, you know, mm -hmm. and the guy on the top going, <laughs> yeah. It, it's all melody. So, so his trick was, if my trick was lyrics, words. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I'm, my my earbuds. Sorry, guys. It's okay. Hey, actually, hold on. I can let the dog out because he's been barking. Give me a second. Yeah. There's a dog as well. Yeah. He's a, he let, who let the dogs out? That's a commercial, Perfect. isn't it? Perfect. <laughs> there you go. We can edit that out perfectly. Good. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I'm pretending it's... you're in a studio, but you're in a pet shop. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's interesting, you, it's interesting you talk about the doo-wop groups because it's it's so funny how they influence so many incredible bars. I mean, I was talking to yeah. John Oates from Hall & Oates, and he was talking about how oh, God, those... Oh, totally into it. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. All of those Name groups, dropper. Were, they were so influential on like the, the whole background <laughs> vocal sound of, of Hall and & Oates. And it's it's funny you talk about the doo-wop guys because you, you think about it, yeah, the melody is so important to all of those groups.
Yeah, look, here's an important thing because, you know, John and, and, and Daryl are Philly boys and, you know, yeah. uh, Philadelphia, that was Gene Page as well, our string writer. And a lot of our backing songs, you know, um, through those various albums with Richard were from Philadelphia, you know, a lot of great musicians from up that way. Mm -hmm. And that was the core of those kind of groups. That group singing, you know, was a big, big thing. Dion and those guys, you know, it's all about one ear. That will do. There you go. <laughs> um, it was all about, you know, that um, that uh, um, that sound, that kind of vocal conversation on a record, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and I love all that. It's great. But Richard was really into that as well. I mean, he would build the tracks beautifully. I mean, you know, the, the way that the arrangements came, he was a stickler and so much detail. I mean, we do sometimes like a hundred takes and I would sing live on every single one, mm -hmm. you know, so I'd insist on singing live. I didn't like doing overdubs too much. I got into that kind of later, but a lot of the vocals on Endless Flight are kind of first takes or takes with the band, you know, Wow. Well, let me ask you this about Endless Flight, because the popularity, as we discussed, was, was off the charts. In 1977, the Queen has her jubilee and you're invited, probably yeah. partially because of the success of Endless Flight. Uh, I've got a little rundown of 77 here I, I just found just <laughs> earlier on, and I'm going to try and read it to you. Stateside again, record with thunder in my heart. Uh, backing, uh, do backing vocals for Stevie Wonder and Donna, Donna Summer, do an album playing harmonica for Billy Swan, touring with Bob Marley, make a, have a Grammy for You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, big US tour. At Pine Knob, President Carter comes backstage to say, why don't you come down to the house and see me? I fall off stage wow. in Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I want to talk about that because you're, you're still suffering yeah. from that injury. Well, I, I, I almost, they thought I'd ruptured my spleen. Right. Um, and it was a very unusual um, thing. Of course, you make me feel like dancing is massive in the charts mm -hmm. um, and, and Endless Flight is out, you know, so I'm touring on the back of that record. Um, and we were, we were really selling out some places, you know, it was fantastic playing yeah. some big Pine opening Knob arenas. Pine Knob is huge. Pine Knob is yeah, 18,000, 20,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we're, we're playing the Greek theater. Uh, I've got the poster up there, you know, two nice. nights. Um, you know, we, we are, we are, we played central park, you know, uh, yeah, 84,000 people, um, oh, as part of the summer festival there. Um, and anyway, we get to Wisconsin and they built this place called Alpine Valley. And oh. would you believe it's the same place that, uh, that Stevie Ray Vaughan lost his life at? Yeah. Wow. The helicopter crash when he and Clapton uh, were done the gig and they were leaving afterwards. Yeah. In fact, my tour manager was was uh, was was with Stevie in the helicopter, so we lost him as well. You know, I, I, you know. Mm. so all, all kind of family we were at that time. You know, but anyway, wow. that's later on. But they just built this place in '77 when we were up there, August, I think it was, somewhere <laughs> around June, July, or August. Anyway, the. Um, I leaned against a curtain during Melissa Manchester, my opening acts um, uh, um, performance, because I'd, I'd arrived late. Usually I used to always sound check every single show, but this one I didn't make it for some reason, doing interviews or something. So I'm up there and I'm leaning against the curtain next to Davey, my monitor guy, mm. and just to hear what the sound's like. And there was no rail behind the curtain. And we're kind of like uh, 25 feet up. So I fell on my back and oh. um all, all i could i was lying on the ground davy jumped down very bravely after me and kind of held my legs together because if i'd have had a, a reaction a delayed reaction i could have probably broken my back you know so oh. he was very good like that they took me away in an ambulance um i couldn't obviously do the next two shows but for some reason i managed to get back to play chicago um, wearing some kind of bizarre truss so that I wouldn't, you know, probably pop fall, fall out. apart. By the way, I love the visual. He's, body. he's <laughs> doing, you make me feel like dancing, sort of walking around you like a zombie. Like alien, you know. <laughs> it's like Frankenstein on stage. <laughs> That's the greatest. But, but that, that injury has been very serious because it, it's affected you, f I mean, forever. Well, well, it didn't really too much at the time. I got right. over it. 
Amazing thing. God, I was made of tough stuff, I I reckon. But anyway, so look, the story is I get down to Memphis and we're playing uh, the Dixon something arena, Myers-Dixon arena, their big, big place. And um, I lock up in the dressing room. Finally, the delayed shock has, has popped in. So, you know, and I'm in a ball in the dressing room. I can't get out of it. Nobody knows how to get out of it. The audience has already come into the arena. The promoter's kind of like having to cancel because there's no way he can get this tiny little five foot four ball um, mm. a, a, to stand on his legs and do a show. So they called um, out for a doctor and a guy who was an ex-Miami Dolphin football player came in, lovely guy, Michael. And he picked me up and he said, look, leave him with me. There's no way he can work. Let me, let me try and get him back. Give me a couple of days. So everybody agreed. Yeah, let's stay in Memphis and let's uh, let's 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 let this guy. So he took me over to Huntsville, Alabama, over the water, you know. Um, and so we went. What is it? A hundred miles over to Huntsville. And I, while I was there, I kept quizzing him all the time, saying, "You know, you told me your story and you're an ex-football player, but you know, what are you doing here? And who do you work for?" And he said, "Oh, I got a boss, but I can't tell." And you know, kept on like that. And then. Out of the blue, he handed me a phone and he's over the other side of the room. And I answer the phone and it's, this is Elvis Aaron Presley. Um, what? Uh, you make me feel like dancing. Um, I, I love your song, Leo. And uh, I just want to say, uh, you, uh, Michael's been telling you all about, I'm going, this is not, this is spoof call. You know, this isn't real. You know, stop it. Get out of here. So I, I look over to Michael and Michael says, it is. And I think I said something like, shit, you know, and Elvis says, please do not use profanity, sir. Um, <laughs> and, you know, being, being, being Elvis, you know, you can't yeah. swear in front of Elvis. So anyway, but we got talking and he said, look, uh, what I want you to do, he said, it's very important to me. Will you come over to the house tomorrow? And, you know, Michael says you've improved. You're much better. Come over to the house. Let's hang for a few days. We don't have to tell anybody. You know, just tell your managers you're busy. He said, I could do with some inspiration. He said, um, and, you know, we'll have some fun. Maybe we'll make some music together, you know, and don't, but just don't tell anybody, he said, you know, don't tell. And so I, well, of course not. But, you know, the next morning I woke up really excited because I'm going to go to Graceland and meet Elvis. I'm going to hang out with Elvis, for God's sake, me, you know. So wow. I'm, I'm so excited. And I turn on, I used to tape off the, so um, Warner Brothers, when I got the Grammy, gave me a beautiful present. This very rare and unique first edition Sony stereo cassette recorder, pretty advanced for the time. Mm. So I'm recording the radio off it, you know, and so I'd record some of the gospel and country and blues and, you know, anything that was on, all the ads and everything. I've still got the tapes now. Nice. And I remember flicking on the button into record at the same moment they said, the singer Elvis Presley has been bought dead on arrival into Memphis Baptist State Hospital. We will be back for more information when we get it. You know, and that was it. That was the announcement of Elvis's death. And Michael came bursting into my room and just said, oh, look, I've got to go. You heard the news. I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to be with the family. So, yeah, he had to go, you know, and, and he just left me the key. He said, put them on the wheel of the truck outside, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and um, I booked you a cab to the airport, you know, uh, he'll be waiting for you. And I was off. I went off to LA and, mm -hmm. and never thought another thing. And I actually kind of for many, many weeks, I didn't tell anybody, um, you know, my association there because mm -hmm. I thought nobody would believe me, you know? Right. And, and I didn't believe it either. And for a long wow. time, I kind of kept it pretty much a secret. But one day, uh, David Foster, you know, the producer, Celine Dion and all his tracks, yeah, he came to London and he came with his girlfriend and his girlfriend insisted on meeting Leo. So my publisher was friends with David. So and, and I, I knew David anyway, but I mean, I, was, I, I wasn't expecting to see him. So I went to this Chinese restaurant, had dinner with them all. And the girlfriend is the girlfriend of Elvis, the lady who was with him, Ginger Aldrin, who was with him the last night. And she just wanted to tell me how excited Elvis was that he was going to be hanging out with Leo Sayer. 
Wow. He went to bed shouting yeah. and, and, and saying, you know, Leo's coming, Leo's coming, and singing, you know, you make me feel like in an Elvis voice. And she <laughs> wow. said that was the and that was the last time she saw him because apparently in the middle of the night he called the doctor in and got something and you know, yeah, the rest is the story we all know. Well, well, but two things she just wanted me to know, you know. Wow. Jeremy and I were as excited as Elvis uh, to to do this interview today, and yeah. and, I, and by the way, <laughs> no, no. and I, I was, and <laughs> and I love the fact. Phone for a moment. Yeah. yeah. And These and I was just damn gonna... AirPods don't fit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, always... and I just I just got to say I love the fact that I asked about the Queen, and we ended up with the story about the King. So there you go. Yeah. That's <laughs> <They're> linked, you <laughs> know. That's, That's incredible, man. Like, wow, I. That's such a crazy story. Yeah. yeah like, I know. I, I, some of the wow. things that happened to me, I mean, I was just reading this thing of some notes I wrote down, you know, a yeah. long time ago for an interviewer. And at the end of 1977, it is um, uh, fly on a plane first class with Muhammad Ali to LA. <laughs> Jesus. You know, and I'm going, <laughs> and I kind of remember how it happened because I used to do some adverts for British Airways. And he'd just come back from one of his last flights, uh, last fights in Europe, you know, and um, was sitting in the, pl- in the plane. And I, I used to just jump on the plane because, you know, working with British Airways, they'd kind of give me a seat. So they yeah. just say, come to the airport, we'll put you on the plane. And usually they'd slip me into first class. It was very luxurious, you know, very nice. Yeah. But this time they said, I'm so sorry, sir. A gentleman has taken over all of first class and doesn't really want any visitors. And me being flash, you know, I just said, well, tell him who I am. (laughs) So so they comes, she came back. She said, the gentleman in first class would really like you to sit with him. He's on his own. um, And it would just be the two of you. I said, oh, great. So I walk in thinking, who the hell is this? The Pope? And it's Ali. My God. So, and we talked the entire trip. Not a, not a wink of sleep. And wow. it ended up with me going and hanging out at a training camp with him the next week in in Santa Barbara. We spent quite a few days together. It was a very beautiful thing. That's incredible. Man, Leo, wow. these stories are insane. I know. And, and well, I'm this guy who just happened to be in the right place at the right time so many times in my life. Yeah. I've been very, very lucky. Very and I, I'm, I'm getting a chance to relive my childhood. I mean, between Jimmy Carter, <laughs> Muhammad Ali, the Queen, the King, Leo Sayer. I mean, all we're missing right now is Olivia Newton-John to walk in behind him. And then we're, oh, no, we're good. Well, uh, let me tell you about notes. <laughs> <laughs> He's right back there with John Travolta. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, funny. have you done any work with uh, with with Olivia? Have you toured with her? Have you done? No, any? I mean, no, no. I no. mean, we, it, she's I, lovely. I, I know her, and and of course, I've been involved um, as many of us have with some of the charities that are dear to her heart. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, a lot of the cancer charities, and she has, uh, you know, sort of therapy centers here. And um, yeah, I did some fundraising. She's lovely, and um, I guess you know, I mean, we we all bump into each other at these. Mm-hmm. At these Vance. moments in our life, you know, I mean, my my story is kind of I'm, I'm writing it at the moment. I'm actually doing my autobiography at the moment and I'm nearly finished. Mm. I've got 200,000 words in. Wow. Um, it's quite a story and it will come out later. It's called Just a Boy. Um, so it's it's kind of and it's written by Gerard Hughes Sayer, who is nice. my real name. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like he writes about the story of Leo Sayer because you have to have someone objective. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's the like having Vincent Fernier write the Alice Cooper story. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> and, and by the way, Kiss have a song called "Just a Boy," so so we're tying in the whole Kiss Vinny Poncia. It's 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 there terrific. There you go. You see, Everything. yeah. And, you just and I got and I got my Alice Cooper, Cooper shirt. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, forty five years of endless flight. I mean, where's the yeah. time gone, man? I mean, November fifth, nineteen seventy six. That's the official release date. Is that the official release date? November November fifth, nineteen seventy six. Do you remember? The exact date? I, th- I think it. I think it was somewhere around there. Yeah. Um. I think. Um. Yeah. I, I checked 19... it. Uh, I checked it very uh, meticulously last night. I didn't find anything that said November fifth, but I, I saw that the first single was like October thirtieth, which sort of was. Yeah. 
you know, a week in the advance best, kind the, of. Yeah. I mean, the best way to trace it would be billboard. And then you see the first week it got into the chart. Yeah. yeah. And usually you go a week before that. That's right. You know, because right. it, a song, the way that Warners were pushing this, if it's being promoted properly, it takes a week to get to the charts. And that's you know, what to I was the looking top. for. 100, yeah, yeah. Let me just ask oh. you one last thing before we leave. Uh, Ray Parker sure. Jr., of course, went off and had his hits with Ghostbusters, <laughs> and then, of course, that became the whole 80s thing. What was that like for you? To, did, were you looking at him going, I knew you could do this solo. You didn't have to be my guitar guy. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> was there a little bit of, oh, of very, very fatherly much. pride in there? Yeah, well, Ray and I are still in touch. You know, we, we still talk on Facebook and all sorts of things. We, 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 we follow each other's birthdays and everything, you know, he's a lovely cat. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time with him. I mean, we ended up writing a lot of songs together. So uh, in fact, when radio, his band started off, um, the first theme was a song by Leo Sayre and Ray Parker Jr. Um, but of course the rest of his band needed to get, you know, in on the act. So we, they, they dumped that, but it was cool. It was cool. <laughs> But we had this, I'm your radio, you turn me on. We had this fantastic groovy song, you know, that, that um, was going to come out. But um, it wouldn't have been right. You know, it was better that the guys. And then I did a song called um, uh, When the Money Runs Out. And all of his, you know, his, a lot of the guys on radio were on that record. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we, we kept in touch and did a lot. I knew Ray from um from stevie wonder's band and of course i had playing with live with me although he's not on any of the records uh reggie mcbride who's the guy who played superstition uh, you know superstitious mm -hmm. and um and also toured with stevie for many 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 years so you know we were all kind of linked you know there was a good family of people and i knew steve very well i mean i'm i'm singing on loves in need of love today and part of the choir and um you know steve's a beautiful cat I'm just looking at like some of the people that you had play on this record. And it's like from, you know, yeah. from Lee Sklar to geez, it was Steve Gadd on drums. I mean, between Jeff and Steve, like yeah. powerhouse musicians on behind the skins. It's like, that's insane. <laughs> well, yeah. well, the Steve Gadd thing came about really because um, we were, we had you make me feel like dancing and we wanted to do something special with it. Um, Donald Fagan was in the studio with Bill Schnee, who was, uh, Richard's previous engineer to to Howard Steele doing um, this record with us, um, and Bill Schnee was recording down at Producers Workshop, and he he tipped Leo, uh, sorry Richard, off that he had, you know, he was doing these tracks with Fagan uh, mm. and 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 um, and Walter um, down at uh, you know at Producers Workshop, and I don't know, I think Donald hit a blank. So I got a, you know, we, I was in the studio with, with, uh, with Richard in his office and, you know, we'd kind of, you know, we were discussing this very thing and Donald phoned up and just said, can I speak to Leo? And just kind of very, in that kind of dour voice that he's got, just said, Leo, I've got no songs for the guys. Can you take a day in the studio with them while I get myself together? I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So opportunity kind of played straight into our hands, just wow. as we were thinking about how we're going to, you know, how would we ask Donald Fagan if we could have some of his studio time? He gives it to us, you know. So we went in there and reconstructed You Make Me Feel Like Dancing. And we managed to use a lot of the elements. We had two tape machines running together. So we used a lot of the elements that we'd pre-recorded um, with, with, with the band, which would, you know, the previous band. Um, and remade it with Chuck Rainey on bass and, and, and Steve on drums. And, you know, Steve was beautiful to work with. Mm. Uh, he was a, such a lovely cat. We, we also cut How Much Love in the same session, mm -hmm. um, which was nice. And, um, uh, and um, yeah, and then I, I, did some, I did some other things with Steve, and Steve came and hang out of, hung out of my house at one time as well, which was great, stayed with me. Wow. Um, lo lovely man. Very cool. Well, Leo, you've, uh, you've said it all. This was absolutely incredible. Uh, oh, thank geez, you. These stories are amazing. Endless flight celebrating the 45th anniversary this year. Um, looking back now, before we wrap up, is there anything you would have done differently? Well, I could have kept on with my argument with Richard and never gone into the studio to do it. <laughs> so I, it's always, it always seems to me that kind of album that was almost not meant to be and, you know, and then kind of like miraculously turned, but Richard knew how to sell a band. 
you know, to a singer. He yeah. just had me walk in that studio. And as soon as I saw and heard those guys playing, yeah, those wow. songs like nobody. I mean, we've got an outtake of Tears of a Clown, which is fantastic, wow. which I'm trying to get the master of at the moment. In fact, I'm chasing down the record to see if we can do a complete redux album because apparently the multi-tracks are around again. So I'm mm. going to get hold of them all. And I've got a mix engineer and we're going to just clean it all up and do a, uh, yeah, and do a super deluxe um, uh, redux kind of. Oh, that'd be uh, amazing. Great. And yeah, uh, and I think it's time to do that, you know, so. Um, yeah. And then when the 50th anniversary comes around, you know, we'll have something really beautiful to, to play. And uh... um and you can use this interview as a bonus track. Um, yep. No, and I certainly will. And, the, and, and my fr our fr our mutual friends from Primary Wave really want to kind of use a lot of what we're doing today to, yep. uh, to, to link into their kind of campaign. Yep, um, which... I'm really enjoying working with these guys. And you the know, it's just sad with COVID that I've not had a chance to trip over to the States uh, or to Canada and you know, see people over the other side of the water, which is really sad. Yep. I'm, I'm based in Australia. I'm just yep. about... 160 k's uh which is about 60 to 70 miles outside sydney mm -hmm. um going towards canberra the capital in the hills and um it's beautiful down here uh lovely oh, life we live i so want to go to australia but i, yeah. I just want to finish with this you you have a beatles tribute record coming out yeah i'm just realizing now i've got these around the wrong way that's why they're not fitting <laughs> <laughs> oh, now i can hear you because i was listening in phase Oh, oh my geez. god. Out of, you were out of phase. Boy. But that Beatles tribute. Yep. Uh it's called Northern Songs and um it's got that song only a northern song in there. Um Harrison's song. Um it's very different way of approaching the Beatles. I've done it all here. I tend to do records all by myself these days. I've got a I'll show you the studio actually. Let me just take you around. Yeah. Um, let's check it out. So this Home is the, studio. Oh, God. Oh, hang on. The screen's gone there. Can you no, see me? Can, yeah, yeah, we, we see got you. you. Don't worry. Okay, for some some reason, it's disappeared into something else here. So I've got a vocal booth in here. Yeah, oh, wow. Look at that. I don't know if you can see that very well. Yep. But, yes, you we know, can. That's incredible Loughton microphone in there. And then my little center of operations is kind of here. Wow. So all acoustic, and then there's the mic room. But you know what? I, I, I play everything myself. I do the whole record. There's no other people on it. Right. Which is um, a very weird thing to do. But, um, but I love it. So what are you cutting I'm first? The drums and then... Band, and, yeah, so you're cutting drums first and then keys? Or uh, what's the process no, for you? All, all, all sampled and I make my own samples. It's, okay. it's all... Um, Programming everything? Yeah, but it doesn't sound electronic. It sounds real. It sounds like yeah. there's humans involved. And oh. I've done three albums now like this. And the Beatles project has been going all the way through this. Mm. So it was a way of me teaching myself how to do this. But the tracks are in. You're going to like the tracks when, they, when it comes. It's coming in November. And, um, and it's kind of, you know, things like uh, Eleanor Rigby sounds like Beat It. Wow. So, you know, or, 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 or Billie Jean, rather. That's cool. You know, so oh, they're wow. very like different that. interpretations. They're different. Can't buy me love is all slowed down. Good. Girls well, sounds you, like Prince. You're you know, supposed so, to, you're supposed to make it your own. That's, that's what a good covers record so. is. If I think so. You know, look, paste, I, I mean, you know, I follow the Todd Rundgren approach, you know, I mean, if it's there, if you can change it and you can shift it, do it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And, and it's, it's, so it's bringing a lot of grooves into the Beatles and, and, um, anyway, there's 19 tracks, two different versions of Eleanor Rigby and, um, and it's feeling good. We've just done the artwork is just about done. So, Did you cover yesterday? Oh, Yes, I have. And it's done yeah. in Cuban style. Nice. So it's kind of like, sounds like Buena Vista Social Club. Wow. That would be you cool. Know, but, for for a it, long but, time, Yesterday was known as <laughs> the most covered song. It was in the Guinness Book of World Records as the totally, most covered song. Totally. So, so yeah. I had to add. Oh, great. Perfect. Absolutely. And there's, and, there's a, um, and there's Hey Jude that starts off like with a harmonica and acoustic guitar like Bob Dylan. 
Nice. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all kind of almost, you know, like That's a very like different, an, an early Bob Dylan song, but, um, but anyway, it's all been fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, well, that's what it's about. It's, it's about having fun, right? Yeah, and and I think the record so far, everybody I've played it to, they they just start smiling immediately, which yeah. is a nice thing to happen, you know. So we're having fun. I, I just hope Paul McCartney likes it because he he used to be a friend. He may not be a friend after this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the worst, right? You're like, oh, did you hear Leo's shit cover? Oh, can't call him yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, I used to like that guy. <laughs> what did he do to my songs? How dare he? <laughs> John, you're next. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Just Leo burning his bridges one cover at a time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, look, I'm, 70, I'm 73 now. I think I can get away with it. You know, I'm not scared of anything anymore. Yeah, who cares? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but I'm still making look I'm still making records the voice is still great I've still got the hair thinning a little bit but not too bad what more do you, you know? want um and <laughs> and yeah the voice is still there I'm I'm quite amazed we actually did a on on the next album after um Endless Flight was Thunder in My Heart you know and mm. there was a song on there called Easy to Love and we just got a guy to speed it up and do a mix actually sounding like the original it's a remix but he's managed to kind of speed it up mm. and um a team has done it and i had to do a new vocal and i was goddamn i was amazed that i could still make the notes exactly the same as 44 years ago yeah so you know that's pretty cool that's well, amazing you've said well, it all this, this is terrific Leo, yeah let's Thank wrap you. it up there and uh this was amazing yeah, 45 absolutely. years of endless flight make sure you go and check it out this is this is amazing leo this was so great to meet you and chat and so many stories next Lovely time we'll, we'll do another hour next time <laughs> fantastic yes well, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about the beatles, beatles album. album i want to do the beatles yeah, album please do please song do. by let's, song let's, and yeah let's yeah. stay in touch and yeah. um when we can go from here Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Leo. Have a beautiful day. You too. Cheers, guys. An all new episode of the Jeremy White Podcast, Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it.